Okay, good evening. We're continuing the Path to the Just series, Mesilat Yisharim of the Ramchal, Utsato. Last week, uh, we spoke about Yerovam ben Nevat, a king that knew a lot of Torah, was able to give uh, 127 different lectures about every topic in the Torah, one lecture different than the other, and what destroyed him was his ego, his pride. We spoke about Hashem came to him and gave him an opportunity to repent, and he told him, you and I and King David will be together in heaven, and he said, who's first, me or King David? And God said to him, King David, and he refused to the deal, believe it or not. Just that he will be better than me, it's worth it for me not to do it. This is just an example how bad pride can, can turn into. Uh, we finished last week, chapter 11. Just one announcement before we start. Next Monday, I won't be in New York. I'm going to Canada. So the next week, she will be on Wednesday. Also, from now on, all the lecture is moving to summer schedule. Since they changed the clock, 8.30 instead of 8. 8.30. It's easier until people get home. It's still light outside. So 8.30. It starts 8.30. Remember, you check it in my events, I will change it, Blineder. Okay, 8.30. And the second shiur, that usually starts at 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 minutes after 10, will be half an hour later as well for the Hebrew shiur. Okay, so we spoke about a person that we spoke about the midah, the trait of being clean, clean hands, clean hearts. But now the Ramchal explaining in one page only, that's the shortest chapter in this book, chapter 12, one page, he explained how a person gain position that his, his hands are clean, and his heart also, it goes together. So it says like this, after a person understands the importance of being clean, after he achieves the level of cautious, of being careful, and uh, understanding the level of how a person, how a person should be with his relationship with God, with his creator, there will not be anything that can hold him back anymore. So what do we see here? If a person didn't understand in his mind how important it is to have a clean heart and clean hands, then he won't get there. But once he reached it, that's it. Everything in his life will change. Unlike other things, if a person understands certain things that it's not good to be proud, doesn't mean he can stop right away. It may take years to work on himself every day. But to become clean, it's much, much faster. So the difficulty of being clean is first understanding how important it is. That's actually more difficult than actually doing what you need to do, to understand first that it's important. Most of the things in life that people do, it's because they don't understand that it's horrible. They don't understand. If a person knew that Lashon Hara is horrible, do you think anyone would say one word Lashon Hara? If a person knows that all, all these sex crimes that they do, it's all Isurei Karet, that even when one day they make repentance, they are subject to such suffering, cannot make repentance for these sins before, without getting suffering. Suffering is a main part of the repentance. So if a person knew that for every hour he enjoys, he's going to suffer hundreds or thousands of hours, nobody would make these sins. Nobody. 
You understand? Sometimes it's even worse. Well, a person go and make a scene with a woman, but he doesn't plan to marry her. But sometimes it's a couple who lives together two, three years in a house, and they're not getting married for foolish reasons, very foolish reasons. And then one day they do get married. So the question is, why you live together three years and made so many scenes, Isure Karet, when it's forbidden, when in the end you did get married? Why didn't you get married three years earlier? Anyway, you live like a husband and wife. At least it would be kosher. Those are the things that it's 100% pure ignorance. 100%. If a person knew a little bit, never dared to put himself in this situation. So once a person understands that it's important to be clean, right, he will have to refresh his memory from time to time because this is something that you may forget after a while. So you have to repeat and repeat and repeat until every day of your life comes to a situation that when you start your day and you finish your day, you know, I'm never going to steal, I won't deceive, I won't cheat people, I have a clean heart. When I say a word, it's a word. A lie, I never say any lies, etc. So the, the conclusion of this, and we're moving now to chapter 13, the conclusion is the, the point not to be ignorant, that's the key to succeed here. The more ignorant you are, the, the less successful you'll be being clean. The more knowledgeable you be, the more clean you're going to be. That's the rule. En amaretz chasid. Ignorant cannot be a chasid. Cannot be an extra-righteous person. Gadol talmud shemevi li'demase. Learning, bringing a person into actions, into the necessary action that he has to do in his life. Chapter 13, it's called Midat Aprishut. Parush in Hebrew means excluded, that you take it out of the rule, exception to the rule. There is a rule. The world is full of 7 billion people. Almost no one knows what he lives for. Everyone walks, eats, this, just like animals. Animals eat, they eat. Animals have kids, they have kids. Animals like to eat, they, they like to eat. Animals like to swim, they like to swim. Animals like to sleep, they like to sleep. Ask them, what do you do different than the animals? Really nothing. Everyone dreams about becoming a millionaire, that they can develop more their ego and their pride and, all, and power, and they want to control and rule people and be the boss. They want attention. All the poison that God say to stay away from, they want to run after. And the only way to get it is to have money. That's why everyone kills everyone for money. Why do you think people kill each other for money? Why people murder for $100 today? What is it? The answer is because people know what money can get them. More ego, more pride, more things to brag about. So the Ramchal starts chapter 13 by saying like this, Prishut itchilat hachasidut. When you understand that you want to separate yourself from the average typical people in the world, that's the beginning of the process into success into the real light. I repeat, <coughs> when a person understands that the only way for me to achieve something in my life is to separate myself from this world, the worlds of lies that we live in, that's the beginning of the process. When he does not understand that he has to separate himself from seven billion people out there, 
then you will never be successful, never. The only way you understand one day to become what God wants him to is to know there is the world and there is my world, my world with my creator. As long as I'm one of this huge world that everyone worship their nonsense and everyone run after materialism and all kinds of scenes and people curse and people do all kinds of horrible things and the way they dress on the street and the way they disrespect each other and horrible and television and media, everything is against God. I don't want to be affiliated with this world. This is what a person has to understand. The only people who really succeed in this generation are the people who are not an integral part of society. In the old days, you could have been a businessman in a market and still be very big, righteous person. Why? How long the Chachamim used to work? Two, three hours a day, and right away they ran to Beit Midrash. They didn't have five cars, insurance, private jet, that, two houses, taxes, all kinds of things. They didn't have all that. They have a little house, they build with their own hands, with their students. They build, they put some tar from the outside. So the house of the Chafetz Chaim, 100 years ago, look at one, there's only one picture, black and white, from the Chafetz Chaim. See, he sits outside on the, on the street next to his house. Look at the house he lived in, the, the leader of the Jewish nation in the world. Cohen, Chafetz Chaim, sits outside. His house, you and I can build it in two hours. Like a sukkah, with a little bit better walls. That's the way the people lived. So how much they need? Electric, they didn't have. Heat, all this gas, heat, they didn't have. Health insurance, they didn't have. Taxes, like today, they had taxes for the town, whatever they need to do to clean, whatever, but not like today. And nobody had to pay, and this, and gardener, and all kinds of services, and driveway, and this. 99% of the things we had, nobody had. So people only knew I have to do to make sure I get enough money to bring pieces of wood and some hot water to have to live, a little bit food, vegetables, fruits I have in my garden, I have a few sheep, I have chickens, they give me eggs for free. Life wasn't so difficult. Nobody ate meat like today, non-stop, meat, meat, meat. Six o'clock in the morning, he turns his grill on already. Abai, that's the way I was in Bukhara. My grandfather is like this. Who cares now? All day, meat, meat, that, sushi, Italian, that, take me here, there's a new restaurant. There are people, they never miss the grand opening. Every grand opening, they check in the newspaper, we have to be there. So the Chachamim didn't have this rotten lifestyle. That's why they went to work, one was a shoemaker. The holiest person in the world, fixing people's shoe. Ahmed Kam, Shalom Rabbi, Kif Halak, here, how much, give him one coin. He fixed the shoe for the Arab. Here is Mustafa. Please take goodbye. Shalom. Finished. That's how he made a living. He has enough money to live for the rest of the day. He closed the store. That's how it was. Not like today. We'll open extra until an extra shift until five in the morning. So this is it. So Prishut Tchilat Chasidut. It's the beginning of the right process that you gotta have to separate yourself from this world, and then. Until now, everything we spoke about, the Ramchal said, the 12 previous chapter was explaining the person how to be righteous. Mikan <laughs> from now on, the rest of my book is how to be extra righteous, what we call chassid. Not what you think, chassid in Williamsburg, go like this, like this. 
eating chulen, 10 o'clock in the morning, came out of the mikveh, beautiful. No, Hasid. Hasidim, some of them very, very righteous people, learning, holy, 100% like the Torah, some not so righteous, like everywhere else. You have by Sfaradim, by Litvish, Yemen, everyone is righteous and some less. But the term Hasidim is not what we think today. Just because he has a fair hat, so he's a Hasid, the meaning of the word Hasid means extra righteous. That's what it means. He does more than Hashem demands. What is it like? You have a boss, you work for him in a bagel store. And he tells you, make sure at uh, 8 o'clock when you close the store, take these two garbages, make sure you put them inside and close, that the cats don't make a mess. So what does he do? Not only take the two things, he cleans the store, he takes the, he makes another garbage, he takes everything from the bathroom. The boss only told him, put this for now, it's okay. He said, no, no, I have to do more. It's not enough. That's called Hasid. Tzadik, he listens to his boss. He takes the two bags, he puts them in the garbage, no violation, very good. Hasid, no, there's other things to do. You have workers like this in a business. Some do only what they must do, some do way more than they have to. Who really wins in the long run? In the long run, one day when they need a new manager to the store, who's going to get the job? The one who put the two garbages in or the one who also cleaned around and made the third bag? The one who cleans around. The boss knows he cares about the business. For real. He just doesn't do because he doesn't he want to avoid getting fired. He really does it because he really loves the store. And we found many cases like this in life. So the rule is Sur Merah and then Aseto. First, stop all the negative. While you're stopping the negative in one shot immediately, then it will take, it, it will take time to build the Aseto, little by little, step by step, to improve your doing. And the rule to become a Hasid, the Gemara in Masechet Yevamot, Page 20, the Gemara say, Kadesh atzmach b'mutar lach. Sanctify yourself, not only with what you're not allowed to do. That's needless to say. That's every Jew understand. Allowed, not allowed. Sanctify yourself with what you're allowed to do. What you're allowed to do. Why? If I'm allowed, what's the problem? Let me give an example what it means. Sometimes, a person, uh, is he allowed to eat cream cake? Allowed, it's not a sin. What happens if he eats non-stop? Non-stop. That's already showing a little bit about your personality, who you are. So let's say if a person says, you know what, I'm allowed to eat it, but I'm not going to let food control my life. I will fight, you know, against my evil inclination. I will win against the food, and the food won't win against me. Or a person that certain things he can do, but he say, you know what, I know if I'm going to do it, then eventually I'm gonna, it would lead me to make sin. So I'm going to make myself a fence. I won't even go to that place that never going to make anything later on. That's already a person who understands, is clever. So the Ramchal writes like this, there are three levels here. There are the actual sins. There are the fences around the scenes. This is all the decrees that our sages, Chazal, made to protect us from the scene, right? And the and they are the ones that the person himself, knowing his weaknesses, 
has to decree on himself. There are the general decrees that the sages did to the entire nation of Israel. And there are decrees that a person should do to himself, knowing himself that I'm weak in certain things. For instance, some people don't have strong desire for food. They don't have such a strong desire. <coughs> now I tell you what, take my advice. Never put your phone on a ringer, always on vibration. Always, no matter where it is. I, my phone, 10 years, never rang once. It's always on vibration. <laughs> Understand? Like this, you never get stuck, not in the middle of the bank, everyone looks at you in the middle of a shiur, in the middle of the courtroom. Imagine what will happen in a court, Judge Williams will get so angry now. <laughs> Take this guy with his hat right away. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right, so anyway, so the, let's give an example. Hazal saw 2,000 years ago that people are not as holy as they used to be. And they were afraid that single guys and single girls may come to a situation that they'll make a scene. It was, it was very rare. Nobody, nobody dared to do such a thing in those days, not like today. <laughs> I wonder what Chazal thinks about us. Because remember, they lived in a generation that if they heard once in the entire generation that a boy touched a girl, even her hands, there was already an emergency meeting of all the rabbis how to stop something like this from happening again. And which mitzvah came to the world after that emergency meeting? Mitzvah Yehud. That now there is a rabbinical law, rabbinical law, not directly from the Torah, with the power that God gave to the, to the sages, they decided that since things like this may happen now, because people are not as holy, Let's make a rabbinical law that a boy and a girl cannot be isolated in any hidden place, which means in a store when the door is locked and the shades are down, you already know nobody can come in, the evil inclination begins to pump. Wake up, it's your opportunity, you're never going to have such a chance. What, where all these thoughts come from? Satan is a genius. He's now, he has a plan for you. What do you think he brought you to this situation? So Chazal say, that's already a sin. It's already a sin. Just coming with her to a place and locking the door or closing it that nobody can come in, already it's a sin. So people know it's not allowed. So since this is not allowed, they won't get to Isur Karet. What stopped that? That they knew that there's a woman inside their room and she said to you, yeah, you can come, let's talk. I don't know, business, whatever, in the office. So you leave the door open. Why you leave the door open? People walk by. That if the Yetzirah knows that somebody can come in, it doesn't bother you. You know you're not going to do anything. You're afraid. So, yeah, so you open. If they close, you open. If you know you go to your friend's house and his wife alone and he's not home, don't go in. She is a nice woman. She doesn't have bad intention. What she's going to tell you, stand outside. Say, I'll come back. I have errands to do. Okay, I'll come back in 20 minutes. You can go in and sit and drink a cup of tea there, but there's always going to be one of the neighbors who have uh, an imagination. Tomorrow will put you in a newspaper. You understand? Don't ever be a suspect. I give you another advice for life. If your friend comes and tells you, I have a story to tell you, I have a secret to tell you, tell him, I don't want to know. Tell you why. Because probably he will tell that story to another two, three of his friends, and one of them will tell the story or will turn him in. 
and you're going to become a suspect. Why should you know? I don't want to know. Like this, I'm never going to be a suspect. What good do I need to know people's secrets? I know <laughs> millions of secrets from people. But Baruch Hashem, I never turn anyone's secrets to another person. As a matter of fact, somebody asked me yesterday about someone that I know such a story about him. They only knew, and I pretended I don't even know the person. Because one thing leads to another. Oh, he knows him, so probably he knows about the details. Then the pressure begins. Ah, eh, hardly knows who the guy is. You understand? The point is that uh, it's better not to know. Really, that's the best. Like this, you're never, you're never a suspect. If they knew they told you, and now the world knows about it, right away they think it's him. He is the one who, do, who did. And it's, it could be that it's not you. Better not to know. So the Ramchal say, the, the sages made decrees for us. But the sages made decree overall for the general public. But maybe there are certain things that I'm weak. And I should make for myself. And if I know that that's the case, for instance, not waking up in the morning. It's a sickness. Many people are, Moshe, it's quarter to ten. No, no, I have ten more minutes. Moshe, it's quarter to one. No, no, I have ten more minutes. Moshe, it's mincha already. Five minutes to shkia. No, no, I have five more minutes. It's always like this. No, you can never turn them in. wake them up. So what's the solution? You make a decree. What's the decree? You leave your tefillin in a shul. And you know by nine o'clock they lack the place. You're not going to go. You're not going to have tefillin. Sometimes a person is so bad that even that he doesn't care. Now he walks, Moshe, do you have your tefillin with you? Why? Oh, my tefillin got lucky in the shul. So why didn't you go to the shul? So he put it there. You force yourself to wake up. That's one thing. Or, or make somebody that you embarrass pick you up. Supposed, your rabbi is supposed to pick you up at 7. I'm embarrassed from him. It's, it's ringing now, 6.30. You're thinking, wow, the rabbi is going to be here any day, any minute. So how are they going to come find me in bed snoring? So that's called personal decrees that a person does, right? Or penalize yourself. Every day I won't make it to Minyan in the morning, a hundred bucks in a tzedakah box. Two or three times you don't show up, you feel the pain in your pocket, you'll be the first one in the Minyan. <laughs> That's called personal decrees. You make for yourself. Everything Chazal has to do for you. You know yourself. You know. If you know, you cannot watch your eyes. You see girls that are not modest. Don't go to places like this. Oh, there's a party. Reuven is doing a party. I cannot come. Why? What happened? Oh, no, I cannot come. Why you come? You come. You know, every time you went, it ended up bad. Now you need Chazal to tell you not to go to this party, even though it's a kosher party. Kosher, glad kosher, the rabbi, make kiddushin, everything fine. But you know, you look around in a hallway, in a hotel, whatever, better don't go. Yeah, but your cousin get married. Better I won't go to my cousin's wedding than I destroy my eternity. Better. What about the subway? It's the subway. subway, subway, I don't know what to tell you. What, what do you want me to tell you? Problem with the subway. Yeah. Then, then, the Ramchal asks a question. You may ask, the Ramchal say, you may ask, 
Who gave us permission to add more restriction to the Torah? If God didn't put it, why are we making the Torah more strict than what it was naturally given? Maybe we are violating God's wish. It's a very, very problematic question. So first of all, you should know that the general rule is that a person should not invent new laws to, to make his life stricter than what it already is. You should know that. Maybe people think, everything I do strict is good. What's better, to do lenient? I'll go strict. Everything not allowed. Not allowed, not allowed. There are some rabbis like this. Everything you ask them, not allowed, not allowed, not allowed. And many of the things they say not allowed, unfortunately, it's not, not only it's allowed, sometimes it's even a mitzvah. But according to someone's opinion, it may be not allowed, not allowed for the entire community. You gotta be clever who you talk to. You should know, the, the halachot is not black and white. The halachot. There are certain areas that are pretty gray. For instance, for instance, Reuven come to you and ask you, am I allowed to do it? The answer is absolutely not. His friend Shimon, a minute later, comes to you as a rabbi. Can I do the same thing? For sure, do it. Mazal tov. No problem. How can it be? Ma? Two Torahs? Yes. Technically, it's allowed for both of them. This one is in such a level, if you start with this, it's going to be very bad for him. So you tell him not allowed. Being a rabbi is not just knowing how to read the laws, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. It's not math here. You have to know who to. Two, two students came to Rabbi Benzion, Abba Shaul. Once a rabbi, I read in a Rambam that a person should not waste any night in sleeping. Should learn all night. And then I want to start learning at night. Not only I learn all day. I want to now start staying, go home for an hour or two to be with the wife and the children. When they go to sleep, 11 o'clock, I return back to Yeshiva until the morning. So when is, when is he going to sleep? An hour here and there. That's it. So he told him, Chazaku Baruch, very good. So his Chavruta heard that he told his friend, yes. So he came a minute later, Rabbi, I want to start staying all night up. He said, no, absolutely not allowed. You have to sleep six hours minimum a night. I told him, Rabbi, but you just told him, Chazaku Baruch, stay up all night. He said, yes, him, yes, you know, not yet. You understand? He knows the student, he knows for him it's good, for him it's not good. The Rambam himself gave two different possibilities. One place he said, did you ever think that the night was given to sleep and to snore? The night is a very special level of learning Torah. And then he says that a person must sleep between six and eight hours, six, seven, or eight, depending if you're strong, if you're weak. So minimum six for the brain to digest everything you heard, you learned today, to have a, by the way, I saw something very interesting. Many people are trying to lose weight and they're asking themselves, I don't understand, I don't eat anything. Either I don't eat or I eat very little meals. I'm hungry all day. My stomach is killing me and I don't lose weight. One of the main reasons why people don't eat and they do diets and they really should lose a lot of weight but they don't lose anything is because they don't sleep good at night. If they sleep every night good, minimum six hours every night, the diet will be 10 times better. Why? Let me explain to you why. Hashem, as you know, is a real genius. Many rabbis, it's a Rafa Gaon, the genius rabbi. 
It's a joke. Hashem is for sure genius. We know for sure. So Hashem is a genius. So Hashem knew all the billion, trillions of possibilities in any scenario, what's the best thing? So he programmed the body in a very interesting way. The body is not always functioning the same. The body reacts to changes in life and change his behaving according to the necessity of the moment. Let me explain what I mean. When a person, when a person, his life is okay, no stress, everything fine, make a good living, go to work, happy in what he does, has good marriage, everything fine, and he wants to go on a diet, there's no problem. The less he eats, the more he loses. Very fine. He sleeps well at night, everything fine. What happened now if a person was dumped to Auschwitz? They don't let you sleep. Or in the Israeli army, you don't sleep. All night you run in the mountains like this. What happened? The body understands that the person is now under pressure. If he doesn't go to sleep, that means he's up for a reason. Either he's worried, either he's depressed, either he's in prison or he's in a war. There's tragedy now, so he must stay up. So the body right away holds to the fat of the body and doesn't let it break. The fat, he holds the fat and releases very little at the time to give the person extra battery time. You know, in a computer you have extra battery time, they have a special thing. If you put it on that mode, the computer will work two extra hours instead of six, eight hours. Why? He knows what programs to shut. This is, this is how the body reacts. So when the body sees that the person doesn't sleep, it's like in a, in a war mode. So he holds to the fat, to the energy, to give you extra time until you reach peace of mind and you go back to normal. So you don't eat, you starve, and the body thinks, my master is in a war now. He needs me to hold as much as I can to him to keep going. And that's why a person doesn't lose weight. And then you wonder, what's going on? What, what, what else Hashem wants? I'm going to starve every day like Yom Kippur? Still don't lose? This is how it goes. Of course, if it's going to continue like this forever, then the body understands that, that that's, this person is finished. Eventually, he becomes like in a holocaust. You saw how they look, like this tripod. This is how thin their legs were, if you saw the pictures. Okay, now, so the Ramchal continue. It says, so how we have permission to add more restrictions to the Torah to begin with? The answer is, we review by the sages, Chazal. Chazal said to a Jew, not, not only what God said that is not allowed in his Torah, you want to add more restrictions to it? Chazal asking this. שאתה בא לאסור עליך דברים אחרים? The problem becomes much greater when the Torah told the Jew that he's not allowed to torture himself except one day a year, only Yom Kippur. The Christian concept that a tortured person is holy, somehow entered Judaism and fooled many of the rabbis throughout the generations. That's not Judaism. It's a big mistake. Nowhere in the Torah, God is wishing for a person to torture himself physically in order for him to be holy. No. Ramchal writes, 
It says like this. אם, ונמצא אם כן שהאדם שומם ומעונה, person is bored with his life because of the extra strict religion, and is torture, ולא נהנה מן העולם כלל. It doesn't enjoy from the physical world at all. And the sages, וחכמינו זיכרונם לברכה, in ירושלמי, מסכת קידושין, they say, עתיד אדם ליתן דין לפני המקום על כל מה שראו עיניו ולא רצה לאכול ממנו. Person who saw delicious fruits, delicious vegetables, whatever he saw, and he could have made a bracha and eat and enjoy, and did not eat because he wants to torture himself, right? He's going to get punished for it. Hashem said, I gave you things to enjoy life. Religion did not come to make you suffer, like some people think. Some of them I can understand. They went to the wrong shiurim. They learned by the wrong people, and they made religion look very bitter to them. But it's really, really, not only that it's not bitter, it's extra delicious. <coughs> it has discipline, yeah, and has on and on many things in life. Person with his wife. You think Hashem is interested, he won't enjoy his life? The opposite. It's one of the holiest moments in Judaism. The Ben Ishchai wrote Tikkun about the intimate relationship between a husband and wife. If you understand what it says over here, it could be the holiest moment of the life of a person when he's together with his own wife and there's no problem. In Christianity, it's dirty, it's this, it's not uh, modest. So you want to be holy? Be a priest. Die without a woman. That's not what Hashem said, the opposite. But Hashem say, in order for it to be always good, he has to be on and off. If it will be only on, he will die in six months and marriage will be over and everything will be just be there. But if you're going to do it in the right way, because I made the system, I know how it works, so it's going to be always great, even after 40 years. So what's better, to have some patience every month and to extend it as long as possible, or to enjoy it six months and then then the problem begins. Now you have to understand, when the marriage turns bitter or sour, it's an immediate impact on many other fields in life, in the financial, on the children, on the holiness, on the righteousness, and uh, so many things in your life. It's not one thing, okay, so here, replace the wife, go to Home Depot, buy another one from the shelf. It's not working like this. It's a chain reaction. It's the mother of your children, it's your parents, it's her parents, it's partnership, it's business, it's neighbors, it's Chilul Hashem. So there's no, we don't have the privilege to, to lose such an such institution, the marriage institution, with our own hands. Got to fight for it. And fighting for it is doing the right thing. So there's no mitzvah to torture yourself. The opposite, it's a sin. person torturing himself, it's a sin. And he gives few examples here. It says like this. כל אשר שאלו עיניי, לא הצלתי מהם. קינג סלמון רוטין קהלת. Everything, כושר, that it's permitted, that God put in this world, and I came across, קינג סלמון say, I did not kept myself away from it. Why? Why not? God gave me something to enjoy. Why shouldn't I take advantage on something he allowed me to do? So, what, so it looks like a serious contradiction. 
all this extra restriction that you should not, you should not, you should not, and no, you should enjoy, you should enjoy, it doesn't go together, no? No, not at all. Not at all. Every person knows his own weaknesses. Yes, eat and enjoy. But if you know that when you begin to eat and enjoy, you stop learning Torah, and all day your, your nose is in a plate, and you become a pig, then of course. Then you make yourself restriction. But if you know you can eat and enjoy and on and off when it's, when it's, not, it's fine, and you can still learn Torah and can still do everything that God wants you to, why not to enjoy on top of all the things that you have to do? So you have to know your weaknesses. If you know your weaknesses, you know what you should do, what you should not do. Every person's weaknesses is different than the other. So the Ramchal continue. The Ramchal say, Hashem told us, be holy. We should be holy. Prushim tiyu. Prushim means separate yourself from the average world. And now the Ramchal begins to bring other verses that contradict completely what I just said. Everything I said was in his name. I didn't say it in my name. So he brings now the opposite. So now there's two sides to the coin. But we have to understand the contradiction. So let's first read the opposite now. The Torah say, someone who sits and fasts is holy. What did I just say a minute ago? God is not interested that you're going to torture yourself. That's not, that's not the right way. The Gemara in Ta'anit say, Kol ha-yoshev b'ta'anit nikra kadosh. Everyone who sits and fasts nikra kadosh. Kal v'chomer mi nazir. We learn it from a monk, from nazir. It's needless to say. If nazir separate himself from the grapes only, right, and it's a sign of holiness, someone who separates himself from all kinds of food is needless to say, no? And also it says, it says like this, Tzadik ochel lasova nafsho. A real righteous Jew only eat to be full. Doesn't matter what, delicious, salt, not salt, well done, not well done, pepper, forgot, so fresh, not so fresh. He doesn't care. What's today to eat? Today, honey, I made you pretzels with hummus. No problem. Baruch Hashem. Tomorrow what? Cucumbers. Okay. Today, gefilte fish. <laughs> that I don't want. <laughs> That's it, that's the one. Gefilte fish is one of these things you're either crazy about it or you get become crazy from it, depending who you are. <laughs> so either you cannot live without it or either you cannot live with it. There's no in between, I think. Anyway, I imagine your Sfaradi, your wife is Ashkenazi, it's a world war in the house. <laughs> so you have to compromise. You make it and you put Moroccan sauce on it. <laughs> That's the way to compromise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have friends that just finished fasting for 40 days. Yes. No, no, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm talking about this now. So, Chizkiyahu Melech Yehuda. Chizkiyahu was the, the greatest king ever lived. The greatest. And it's time the Jewish nation reached the highest level possible. What was he eating? This millionaire, billionaire, genius, holy, righteous king. What was he eating? What's the king in Iran eats? The Shah. The best chef in the world cook for him. Gondi, this, that, the rice with the peels of the, of the oranges. I don't know their names, but it's a lot of delicious things. The Persian has, I think, 100 kinds of rice only. 
this, cherries, that, all kinds of things. So when you have the best chefs in the world, you don't know what to, where, where to start from. That's how kings eat, no? All the kings like this. What was he eating? Shnei litrim shel yarak. He throw some celery, some uh, vegetable, radish. <laughs> That's what he was eating. Almost like a homeless today. You know the homeless, he come to the booth here in the corner. You have some leftover here, take some radish, take some this, yalla, eat. The king. Just to survive. Rabbi, Rabbi Udana Si, the writer of the Mishnah. Lived 120 years, complete life, was a perfect, ultimate human being. The Gemara say, in his generation, who deserved to be the Messiah? Everyone agree unanimously, Rabbi, Rabbi Uda Anasi, is also from the descendants of King David. He's a multi-billionaire, the, the biggest Chacham in Israel. What can you ask more from, from life? Right? Before he died, before he, came, he passed away from the world, he raised his ten fingers, like this. And he said, you know, I, I have to repeat again, these kind of people that mentioned in the Talmud, not only they were not liars, they never said something that is not 100%. If it's 99%, they didn't say it. This was very careful people with their mouth. And this is what he said before he died. What did he say? Galui ve'yadua lefanecha, dear God, you know 100% shelo ne'eneti me'olam hazeh, I did not enjoy from this physical world even with my little finger, which means not even once. The, my entire 120 years, I did not enjoy anything physical from this world. How can it be? The Gemara say, had a mention table full of all gold, full of the best stuff on earth is in his house. Servants, the, or anything you want. How are you telling me you're not enjoying? Imagine now, uh, what's his name? Bill Gates come. He say, ladies and gentlemen, my time has come to go to the next world. I just want everyone, God, no, you know I never enjoy life. <laughs> well, with Clark, get out of here. You never enjoy life. But that's more or less the same scenario here. So what's going on? So, <coughs> there is a very thin line between enjoying something or between turning, into an, turning it into an addiction that you cannot live without it and you always need it, need it, need it. Some people, when they eat delicious food, their mind is, how delicious is the food? Healthy, not healthy, nobody cares so much. Today, they speak a lot about health, but... More, most of the people, they first care that the food will be delicious. Him, even when he was eating delicious food, his mind was, I'm eating it because I want to be strong to learn Torah. I don't really care about the taste. Taste, it, it's fine. They say, Rav Chaim Ivolojin, when he was eating, he was taking one bite and waiting a minute or two. When he's starving, come in front of his meal, taking one bite, waiting a minute. Taking another bite, waiting a minute to fight against his desires. Because every person is, in a way, is like an animal. He has these desires to attack food. And he was saying, no, I'm going to control. I'll decide when I take my next bite. 
They say that if a person sits in a, in, in a table and he eats delicious food, and there's one thing that he loves very much in a meal, and he said, this one, for you, Hashem, I don't touch. Sacrifice. Here is my sacrifice to you. I love watermelon very much. I don't touch it today. I love this, this delicious cake. For you, I don't touch it. He eats all the rest. This, for you, I don't touch. It's like bringing a sacrifice. It's like fasting the whole day. It's very interesting. Why? Because an act of fighting against your desires is a very big thing. So now we have an Israeli salad here. It's mitzvah to fast or it's a sin to fast? It's mitzvah to enjoy the world or it's a sin to enjoy? What's going on here? It looks like a real salad, no? The Gemara says, Ad she'adam itpalel al divrei Torah. Everyone pray that he's going to remember the Torah that he learns. That he will go into his body, into his system. He better be praying first that food and drinks won't go into his system. Which means he won't be addicted to food all day fressing. I always said, how do you know this generation is addicted to food more than the previous generation? When I was a kid, you know what was the size of the supermarket? Like the size of a bathroom in a house today. That was a little macolet. There's no supermarkets. Macolet. Grocery. They're little tiny. I promise you, like a bedroom. Size of a bedroom. Three refrigerators. One counter. Shelves for the bread. Yeah, that's it. A few buckets of olives. A few donuts on the counter. That was the grocery. That's it. Today, you know the size of the supermarkets? Come to Monsi, you see the size of the supermarket. You can do the Super Bowl over there. <laughs> That's how big is the supermarket. Yeah. I think you can fit inside the supermarket 50,000 people in the size of the supermarket. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit crowded. But if in a Western world more than 20,000 come to pray in a holiday, over there you can fit 50,000. <coughs> You have uh, one of 30 different eyes, very long one. Gee, you don't know where to start. You want to come buy three items, you finish your entire life there in the supermarket. Time you finish, you're already 70. <laughs> Why the supermarket are keep growing? Soon it's going to be a supermarket that connect directly from New York to Tel Aviv. <laughs> don't have to bother. Why is it like this? The eyes, the eyes of the people and their desire are constantly growing. It never ends in one point. Never ends. It's always more and more and more. And then he calls himself religious. I'm very religious. So, this is it. So the Ramchal says like this. So there are many, many differences when you're allowed, when you're not allowed. We have to understand to clarify it. So it says like this, King Solomon say, Al Don't be a Mr. Show-off when it comes to righteousness. One time, I went to learn by my cousin in Yerushalayim. I had a few, few great moments like this in life. And I was able to leave all the headaches that I have every day and sit and learn with him in a, in a Gemara Shiur in Yerushalayim. So one time I was sitting there, but the heat in Israel and the humidity is so strong. Right away after a minute, I took off my jacket, I opened the shirt, the tire. Okay, so now there's a little lousy fan on the wall, making some noise. 
but you don't feel anything. Believe me, you're six feet away from it, you don't feel any air coming. So I see that even the Israeli students, all of them in their 20s, they're also suffering from the heat. Somebody who comes from this cold area here suffers even more. Especially me, when I'm naturally always boiling from inside, even in the winter, now I'm sitting in 100 degrees there with humidity. So I see that he looks at them that they're really suffering from the heat. And that was in a caravans. There's not enough room in a big hall of the yeshiva, so they put caravans outside, classes. So it's even harder over there, because the sun is right there on the roof of the building. So he said to them, I know, I know the heat is disturbing, but you should always remember what the Gemara say, learning with suffering is a hundred times greater than learning comfortably. So one guy, which I almost killed him, one guy said, oh, Kvod Arav, so why don't we put off the fan? <laughs> Kill this guy. <laughs> he said, he said, my cousin told him, Al tzadik arbe. So I just told you, come on, leave the show for later. Like the fan did anything. If there was hope, maybe eventually the wind will arrive by the end of the shiur to your face. That's what King Solomon said. Most of the people that look from the outside very righteous, they're only righteous in public. In uh, hidden rooms, in house, with the wife, with the children. Ah, it's far away from the image that he has in the public. That's why I always say, if you want to know who the person is, you call his house, you see how his wife and children call him to the phone. You know everything about him. If, yeah, if they're upset to answer the phone and look for him, then you know that they cannot stand him. And if they're very nice and pleasant and they come and this, or you come to their house, you see in Shabbat how the family behaves with him, then you see everything. On the stage, all the Hollywood uh, uh, actors and all the, what do you call it, the singers, they're very nice and they're all very polite and they're very nice to the crowd. But and later, when they found out how they died, stories from their life starting to come out, everyone is in shock. We thought he's an angel. On the stage, almost everyone is an angel. So the Ramchal continues and says like this. The, um, the purpose of life, and God put us here, as we all know, it's to test us. How are we going to behave? And we also know that a person has weaknesses and attraction to everything that is negative. It's also a part of the creation. And then, some of the things that are permitted, like eating kosher food, right? Eating steaks, it's permitted, no? But look what he writes. He says like this. When a person stuffs his belly, miluya keres, stuffing your belly, prikat ol, takes away all your energy from being righteous. Very difficult to be righteous after you just stuffed your stomach up to the throat. Now to pray serious after such a meal, very difficult. To learn Torah, very difficult. That's why in Shabbat, when you learn Torah, they say that it's a thousand times greater. 
וואי, there is a rule, האוכל חמין בשבת חייב מיטה, מיטה not we tough, after you eat the children of Shabbos, right away everyone snore, I have guests in my house, before we even get to the bed, They go from the table into the couch, and I count, 60 seconds, go. That's <laughs> not on the couch. <laughs> After such a heavy meal. I got this, too, no? <laughs> and then when you need to bench to do, to do the blessing, you have to look where everyone. One is here, one is upstairs, one is in the basement, everyone. Yeah, where are they? Half an hour to find them to come to the meal. So in this situation, when the steam is uh, going from the stomach into the brain and to sit and to understand the, uh, the difficult gemara, I understand why it's a thousand times greater. So since we're not such heroes, better never to stuff the stomach. Except on yourself from now on, never to be fully full. Never. Always to eat two-thirds, the Rambam writes. Leave air to the stomach to shrink. If you put tons of weight on it, the stomach choke, and it brings many, many sicknesses to the life, physical sicknesses. Always eat and keep yourself comfortable, not heavy. Once you're heavy, you fall asleep. Why you fall asleep? Because all the blood goes into the stomach to digest the food, and no blood goes to the head. It's you're going into hibernate mode. That's what's happening. <laughs> That's it. If you see that every one of your meals, you will never be stuffed, two, two or three minutes after, you can get up and move back to your physical work. Even to run. After you stuff yourself, you can hardly walk. Your eyes are burning, you're falling asleep, wow. So you can see it's a poison. A person cannot stop. In Israel, I don't know here, they invented something. It's called jaws. They put it on a kid's mouth. And they lock it with the, with the key. So every time the key wants to eat, he asks his mommy to open it. <laughs> I cannot control his mouth. He's already extra 60 pounds. So they want to help the boy to train him that, yeah, you, you have to know that you have to wait a few hours from meal to meal. Not, it's not one long meal that takes 20 years. <laughs> He's like, I don't know if he, they still have it, but they used to have it at one point. Maybe it's against human rights. Huh? Against you. America, for sure, it's against the Constitution. <laughs> ah, whatever. All right, so now, the Ramchal continues. The Ramchal says, also alcohol, wine, cognac, whiskey, arak. We only drink arak, like the babasali. When you be babasali, you can drink whatever you want. Don't worry. In the meantime, you're far away from being Ravasali. Don't touch alcohol. A little bit, Lichvod Abracha finished. You know, if a person is drunk and he murdered, he's executed like a regular murder according to the Torah. That's enough. Everyone who's clever, get the point. If I'm not in control, I don't even remember when I come back to reality that I murdered someone, but I still get executed. So why... There is no discount here. Well, everybody understands that I never did it intentionally. No? The opposite, I killed my best friend. I was, well, you drunk. So I am guilty in execution. Once you entered a mode that you lost control on your brain and your choices, 
you are the biggest criminal because you can destroy the whole world. You're lucky it was only one individual. What happened if you press the atomic bomb and blow out 50 million people? What happened if you blow out a building? What happened if you go with your car like crazy and hit, I don't know, 50 people on the sidewalk? Drunk people never know. You know? So also they turns into aggressive. One little comments you make, I don't know, somehow it looks to them like an insult and they become violent. And, and I don't have to tell you how drunk people behave. Believe me, if you film them and you show them how they look after, they feel very bad when they look at themselves. So alcohol is not, uh, it's not even an option. I know some people would say, eh, by our tradition, if you don't drink, you're not a man. Better you be a woman and not drink. <laughs> Better, believe me. You're not a man. What kind of, of culture is this? This is good for the Irish culture. They like to drink, the British. They like beer, Germans, beer all day. Jews it, uh, should not be in their life, bichlal, things like this. A little, a little bit for the holiday, a glass of wine, fine. Don't get me wrong. Even the Muslims, they got it that it's illegal in their countries to have alcohol. If they catch you with a bottle of wine, even, I don't know, 6% alcohol, it's already a serious violation. You can go to jail for it. So huh? In Alaska? Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So anyway, we continue. So a person who stuffed his stomach, the one time that he won't have enough, what would happen? He will suffer for real, because he got used to it. So he puts himself into, into some kind of life with pressure, and that can lead him to steal, to cheat, to get it one way or the other. The Torah say, Ben Soreru More, stuffing himself with meat and wine. Kill him by his bar mitzvah before he's going to get old and become a much bigger threat to society. Since when you kill a person before he became officially a criminal? Huh? Since when? You know, in Africa, in Africa, they take the little children, seven, eight years old, they give them machine guns, and they teach them how to be murderers and rapists. It's a well-known problem in, Af in some countries. So they already, it's like a mil militia, you know, like they go and they murder women and all kinds of massacres. So, so technically this kid, even though he's innocent, if you don't kill him now when he's seven, soon he's gonna be 15, he's gonna be a monster that will kill thousands of people. Same thing the Palestinians. They teach the little kids, they put already bombs around them, they teach them how to burn the flag, how to hate Jews and Americans. So if they, if they die, the hypocrite world is crying for them. They're children, they're innocent. What are you doing to them? Children, innocent? Hitler also was a kid one time in his life. But no one denied that if somebody would kill him when he was seven, it would be a great favor to the world. But when a person would kill him when he was seven, everyone would say, what a cool person you are. But Hitler, when he was seven, you couldn't see. By these Palestinian murderers that they trained them how to be murderers, you already see where they're going to. It's not a question of maybe yes, maybe not. The Empire State Building is in threat 
because Muhammad and Mustafa are learning now how to be bombers. It's not only in Israel, it's in Syria, it's in Iran, it's in almost every country, every, every country. Look what's happening in the world today. So let's stop pretending and being hypocrite with the, shall, with the, with the protection of democracy which is one of the foolish, foolish, more foolish things that people invented, democracy. Ah, it's with America, with democracy. We're civilized. We're not animals. We're nothing. We're not only not civilized, we're very foolish. Why? Why democracy is very foolish things? Because the world is full of fools. Most of the people in the world are not brilliant. There's very, very small percentage of brilliant people in the world, 5%, 10%. They are the ones who are capable of running the military, the country, the financial, the scientific world. They are the ones who should run the world, not the ones who don't know what, anything from their life. But according to democracy, the fools control the smart, because they are the majority. You understand what I'm saying or no? If you go to a country, you have 50 million people over there. 45 million don't, don't, don't know how to read and write. If they go to vote, they are the ones who control the country. When yet, it's against themselves. They, if they're clever, they should come to the 5 million and say, rule over us for our own benefits. We want the brilliant people to be in charge. Not the, like in El Salvador, they took this gangster, Chavez, this criminal and put him to become. You see what happened? You see what happened to the world when you put such a person in power? Israel. Or in Iran. The idea of democracy, yeah, there's some positive things in it. Human rights, this, but this you can do without democracy. You don't need democracy for human rights. Yeah. The idea is that you need an honest, righteous person, Chacham, to run the world. In Israel, there is a democracy, but who is really the king of Israel? The Rabbi Ovadia Yosef is really the king. Everything in the end needs his approval. Many people don't know it. In the end, they all come quietly to him and ask him, Rabbi, should we attack in Iran? Yes or no? Should we give Gilad Shalit? They don't want to give Gilad Shalit. Who wants to, to save one Jew and release the thousand murderers that they will kill 500 Jews? He said to them, yes. He wouldn't say yes, they wouldn't do it. I know it from a very reliable source. Once he say yes, they did it. And many other things. They ask him, should we give the Palestinians the Gush Katif, all these territories? What do you, what quote Arab thing? They say yes, even the most secular prime minister, they went by what he said. So we'll continue now. So. Yes, he said yes. If he wouldn't say yes, they'll never give it to them. Yeah, yeah. You know what it is? Let me explain to you something. Politics, politics, it's not what we hear on the news or what we see on the television. It's much, much, much deeper behind, beyond the scene. You don't really know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Israel got billions of dollars to give it back to them from the world, from the European, from the American. Maybe they got some kind of deal that they get all kinds of radars and things that they need for the protection of the country as a bribe in order for them to give a few hundreds of acres to the murderers over there. 
Maybe there's all kinds of things that we don't know. We don't really know beyond the scene what happened. We don't know. Sometimes the decision of a, of a, of a religious authority looks very foolish until you know all the details. You know? So I remember one time somebody asked Rabbi Ovadia Yosef in public about something that happened in the Knesset. He got very angry at him. And he told him, if you only knew how many sins we prevented by giving up on that particular thing in different places, you would not dare to ask this question. Nobody hear the whole story. You hear the rabbi gave up to the secular in this uh, subject. But what did they give in return? So that's why I say to comment about politics is the most stupid things that a person can do. You know, you know what's happening? You know, all this attack, Iran, Iran, it could be all a cover-up. They can, maybe they can destroy Iran through computers. It's all just uh, to put them, uh, their attention to the military, bringing boats, this. And in the end, they probably cyber, cyber. They kill them with all kinds of things. They make viruses in their system. Now, now, just in Iran, all the television fell off, I think, for two weeks or two days. I don't know. There's all kinds of things happening there. We don't really know. So what are you commenting about? It's like coming to a lecture to the Shiur Gemara in Ponovich, Yeshiva. Yeah. Yesterday you became religious. You hear the rabbi is talking about all kinds of things in the Shiur. It's Chinese for you. Then you say, Rabbi, Rabbi, I have something to say. How come they're fighting about the Talit? Why it's Talit? What are you asking now, right now? It doesn't belong here. So then he comes to his friend. You see, the rabbi didn't know to tell me why it's Talit. Better to be quiet. Let's move on. So it says like this. It says, the Ramchal says, uh, this is a very clever trick for a person to overcome his evil inclination, his desires. Why? Once a person already meet the scene face to face, most likely he will fall. He will fail. But if he would prevent such meeting, then he will win without going into the battle. If you can win without going into the battle, isn't it better? So it says like this. A person is allowed to be with his wife. It's perfectly fine. But the Chachamim knew that if a person will do it all the time, then he becomes like an animal. That's it. He's already addicted to physical pleasure. So what did they do? They made a decree. What's the decree? Every time he's with his wife, he has to go to the mikveh to purify himself. Mikveh today, it's a, it's a great thing. You come, the lights are on, towers, great smell, hot water, beautiful ceramic, nice parking, air condition, heat, whatever you want, you have. It's not such a burden to go to the mikveh. But in their time, you know what mikveh was? In Italy, you go, you take a stick, you break the ice, pieces of ice, you take off your clothes, five o'clock in the morning, no one is there, and you go in. Freezing water, pieces of ice. In Russia, in this, in Morocco. You know what was the mikveh in Morocco? You go 300 steps into the ground, a well. Stairs, no, no light. You go with the, with the lamp, lamp, you, you're praying that the lamp will not go off on you now, when you are uh, uh, 60 feet into the ground. And there are snakes, huge snakes. 
Imagine a woman comes to go into the water. A snake is, yeah, there was one time a snake in Morocco. Nobody wanted to go into the mikveh. The Babasali went and brought him up. Big, huge snake, thick like this. Took him out of the mikveh because the women didn't want to go. There's a rumor there's a snake in the mikveh. So if a person wants to be now with his wife, no problem, enjoy. Then remember where you have to go after. So the people did it as less as possible. And because of that, they were focusing on holiness and Torah. When a person is with his wife like a chicken, like a rooster all day, all night, he has time for Ravashi and Ravina, Rashi and Tosfot. His mind is somewhere else. That's what's happening. But then guess what happened? They saw that the people cannot tolerate this decree, and they canceled it. The Chachamim knew to admit if they did something not 100%, they knew to correct. They didn't have ego. When they saw that the decree was a little bit higher than the level of the public, they saw that the people are really suffering from this decree, they canceled it. Takanat is right, it's called. But the righteous people, of course, they have to still do it. Even today, today it's easy, I told you. Not in the mikveh today, it's no big deal. But this is just to show you, okay. Now, now the Ramchal continue. The Ramchal says like this, there is an organ in the body of a person, that the more, he's talking about the man, the more he is trying to make him full, the hungrier he gets. And the more he's trying to prevent him from being full, the more full he's gonna be. The opposite of what people think. People think the more women I'm gonna have, then it's gonna relax my desires, then I can focus on other things. In reality, the more you're trying to eat, the more hungry you become. It's not like food. Food, you eat a lot, <laughs> you vomit. That's it. No more, no more. Please, another steak. Open your mouth, Moshe. No! Open! Please, I'm begging you. But with this, no, no. Okay, bring more, bring more. But no, you become hungrier and hungrier. But if you watch your eyes, you focus on holiness, and you starve yourself until you get married, whatever, what's allowed, what's not allowed, what happened in the end? You're not addicted. You don't have a boss to run your life. Just like every other thing. Some people, their boss is the cigarette. Cigarette control their life. First thing in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, black coffee, <laughs> half an hour. What happened, David? <laughs> Cigarettes. So I was standing in outside in the freezing weather, six in the morning. Some people, their boss is their clothing. Half an hour and she's next to the mirror, the tight. Is it tight enough or it's loose? Loose, they won't see my legs. No, no, let me take a smaller size. This, that, she puts a belt, something here to attract attention, half an hour to do her hair. Who is controlling her? The Satan is fooling her. Jewish woman like this. Huh? You have boys like this, yeah. I know. Anyway, so listen good. Amalbushim vakishutim, the clothing and the jewelry. The Torah did not say they're forbidden. But, but it can lead to a, per, a person to many sins, such as pride, such as prostitution, modesty problem, 
jealousy, desires, stealing. Why stealing? She cannot afford uh, Gucci. So she steals. All kinds of things. Then one thing leads to another. The next thing, one guy came to me and said to me, Rabbi, I want to do this, I want to do that. I told him, I tell you, don't forget about all this. Just one thing you need to do. I, he said to me, well, I said, stop with the sins you make with the girls. So he looks at me. <laughs> How did you know? I said, I have a problem with that. So I see every night you're making sins. So it is, wow, this guy has a holy, holy vision. Navi. So he said, I don't know what, you see things on me? I said, I don't see anything, you fool. I look at your hair, how much gel you put in your hair, I understand who you are. <laughs> I need to be Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai to know this. I see your sideburns, I see the way you dress, I see how much hair you put and tons of perfume. I know what you live for. Or hair like this, you know. You see right away. See a woman, how she dresses. You need to know she's modest or not. You look at her one second, you know who she is. 500 pounds of makeup, this, gluing nails, that, spray, tights, mini skirts, heels like this. All day she suffer like this. Ah, her back hurts. Oh, Moshe, hold me, I'm falling. You know those, like this. All day she suffer. She try to get up from the chair. The skirt is so tight, she cannot move. She try to sit in a, in a car. She cannot get her legs in or to go out. How oh, much she suffer? That Guido Vini and Amigo Jose will look at her. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Stupidity, it's a profession. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. Then one more thing, one more thing. It says, besides all these things, how much Torah a person prevents from himself when he's busy with all these things? How much Lashonara? Jealousy. If a husband say to his wife, you saw my brother's wife, how much weight she lost? That's it. One month she's not talking to him anymore. Oh, you're saying she's skinnier than me? That, oh, the next day, all day she's with her friends, Lashonara, non-stop. My sister-in-law. Why? She told her she lost more weight than her or something like that. Or if you tell her, oh, what a great cake she made for the birthday party, forget it. Your wife hates you now for 20 years. Why is that? <laughs> Jealousy, competition, ego, being a clown. One, le one leads to another. And then the Gemara says in Masechet Avodah Zarah, page 11, Shnei goim bevitnech. Two nations in your stomach, who? Rivka, Yaakov and Esav, Israel and the Nazis. From the same mother, they came. The Rebbe and Antoninos, Rabbi Udana sees the Jew, Antoninos is from them, from, from Esav. They were both very wealthy. All kinds of vegetables that are extremely precious. All seasons they had it, which, which is very difficult in Israel. I guess it was imported from overseas. It's not like today, you have a plane with refrigerator, you put, you stuff it with vegetables and you send it overseas. 
In the old days, to bring vegetables from a different country without refrigerators was a real serious, expensive operation. So the Gemara tells you that they had these precious vegetables on their table 365 days a year. That means they're extremely wealthy, these people. No. Chizkiyahu Melech Yehuda, same thing. But they didn't enjoy from it themselves. It was on the table for the people. They themselves never touched it. And you may ask, we will finish the chapter in 10 minutes, and uh, if you have questions, I'll give some time. It says like this. You may ask, all these decrees that the Chachamim did, if it's something that is necessary for our life, why the sages made all these decrees? So the answer is, the Chachamim made decrees only to what benefits the public. And what the public can tolerate. What they know that the public is too weak, they cannot tolerate, they did not make laws for the public to violate. And also, every one of their laws have many secrets in them, how to improve the life of a person. And as a nation, you have some people that are very good with one thing and different kinds of people who are good with something else. If you, took the entire, you take the entire Jewish nation and you take uh, 613 commandments, you can find people that are good with different kinds of mitzvot, like some who learns very good Torah. So you take, uh, I don't know, let's say 100,000 people. You put them in Torah. Then you take 50,000 people, you put them in tzedakah. Oh, they're very generous. They help, they give. Then you take modesty. So you take 50,000 women from the entire nation, you put them in a modesty. So all together, you take from all the nation of Israel, you cover the entire Torah. So as, since we're all one unit, call Israel Arivim Zelazeh, it's very, very good. So all together, at least the Torah is kept with all of us together. If some people do almost everything their own. They're very good with everything. But most people, some people are very good with tzedakah, but they're not good with something else. Some people are very good with Shabbat, but they're not good with tzedakah. Some people, modesty, they're very good, but they're bad with Lashonara. So there are weaknesses. But together, if you put everything together, at least the Torah is kept. At least. I hope. At least. Yeah, so it says like this. Mamash, we're almost done. It says... A person should not torture himself, should not make himself suffer. But when it comes to tzedakah, charity, is poor, Pesach is coming. He doesn't have what to eat. He needs matzah, he needs lettuce, he needs maybe some chicken, something for the family. So he needs two, three thousand dollars to pass the holiday, no? But he doesn't have. So his wife tells him, go to the gmach. They give boxes to the poor people. No? I'm not going to go. You're crazy. I'm not going to take from tzedakah. So the Gemara says, someone who really needs food, tzedakah, charity, and doesn't go and take, it's like spilling the blood. A person needs to get food, and he doesn't want to go for whatever reason is. Either he thinks maybe there are more people, more poor people than me. Let them take. So he's really being righteous, but he really needs, and his children needs. Not taking is like spilling blood. 
or that his ego doesn't let him. He was a wealthy man. Until a month ago, he lost all his money. Now, the guy from Tom Cheshavis in Monsi and in Brooklyn, you know what they told me? You know what kind of people come to take food? Every time it's 100 bucks. See how they dress. See what cars they're driving, and they come to take boxes for Shabbat. They wiped out in business. So they still have expensive things, but they don't have what to eat. I know a guy has a Mercedes and doesn't have money for gas. Car is standing. Doesn't, I can't go with the bus. I cannot afford to put gas, especially now. <laughs> you understand what happened? Now they just they called me today from Tom Cheshavis of Miami Beach. If I know anyone wants to help them to get food, they have 70 families a week who doesn't know what to eat. They have to feed in Miami Beach. Some of them very wealthy neighborhood. Yes, yeah. 100%. So, Hashem say, I gave you the soul. The soul is in the body. Revive your soul. The soul will not be revived if the body doesn't eat. The body needs food for the soul to, make, to get maintained. And someone who fasts, eat all the time fasting, is a sinner. So you see there are two opinions. One that it's a big mitzvah, holy. One is a sinner. So it says like this. Hillel used to say, Gomel nafsho ish chased. Someone who takes care of his spirit, of his body, is doing kindness with himself. It's also considered gmilut chasadim. In the morning, he used to wash his legs, his hands, for Hashem. You're laughing. Wow. Everyone does it. Brush your teeth. Today, you have faucet. The old day, you have to run to the lake. 20 below zero. Rain or heat, whatever. You have to run. You have to, there's no toothbrush, whatever. Okay, you got to clean yourself. It's not easy every day, morning. You want a faucet, 15 minutes walk. Come back. It's hard. So some people didn't do it. So I pass by the lake. I wash my, my face. If not... I stay the way I am. Here is the rule. We'll finish Mamash now. Here is the rule. Everything that is not a necessity for the life of a person, it's better to run away from it. And everything that is a necessity for whatever reason it is, what can be necessity for me may not be necessity for him. I, for, I don't need everyday meat. Can live perfectly fine without it. Some people they need it very hard. They sick, they weak, whatever. Some people need a fancy car. Why they drive a lot? I'm ne I don't mean fancy leather, sunroof. No, that's nonsense. I'm talking real good engine. They drive 300 miles a day. They need a good car. They don't want to be stuck all the time. Mechanics, this, lose work. If that's the reason. It's a necessity. Someone who drives to the shiva five minutes a day and come back five minutes at night can get a lousy car, it's fine, for 10 miles a day. So everything according to who you are, right? So this is the rule. Everything is depend on who you are, what is the timing of the case. It's not a math here. Two plus two is always four, no. For some people, if they fast, it's a sin. For some people, it's very good. It elevates them. Oh, I'm fasting. I feel great. One person came to the Chazonish. He told him, Rabbi, people calling me Rabbi, but I know I don't deserve to be called a Rabbi. What should I do? Should I continue to correct everyone? Or I should just 
agree with that, and that's it. Chazunish told him, even someone who knows he's not a rabbi, if it would make him close to Hashem, he can make himself a tidal rabbi. Yes, if he makes him closer to Hashem, no problem. Yes, believe it or not, I read it in a book. Did you know that, Rabbi? How to believe, huh? Huh? How to believe? Chazonish. Cannot argue with Tapa Toreti Chazonish. There was any bigger rabbi than Chazonish in the last hundred years in Eretz Israel? In Torah, probably not. He's definitely one of the top three, if not the top one in the last hundred years. And he said that, and it's, it's written in a book. So everything is depend who you are, depend what's your nature. That's why you need a rabbi to advise you what to do. He knows what's good for you. Some people are very <coughs> spoiled, uh, feminine, they care about beauty. If you put them in a lousy place, they'll get very depressed. Because they'll be depressed, they won't be able to keep mitzvot or make them such bitter life. So not, what did you do by that? Some people, the opposite. You put them in a nice place, they forget Hashem. Depend who the person is. Some people, if you give them good food to eat, they're very good. Some people, you give them a lot of good food to eat, they don't have time for Hashem. But there are certain things that everyone obligated, such as Shabbat. No negotiation, my friend. Halal Shabbat is like a goy, 100%. You want to be in my nation? 100%. Ah, hard for me, business. Here, I'm coming late. Tell your nonsense to your friends, not to me. It's worse than being a murderer. How many times do I have to repeat this? Can I ask you a question? Yes. When, when we got the Torah in Mount Sinai, right? Yeah. Is it true that we were forced to accept the Torah? Yes and no. First, we agreed to accept. We shook hands with Hashem. Thank you for giving us the Torah. Everything you do, Naseve Nishma, will do, and then we'll understand. And then after that, they started to make problems. When they saw there's a lot of rules in the oral Torah, they started to complain. So Hashem took the mountain and put it on their, on their head like a yamaka. Puts a yamaka on their head. It's an expression. They didn't really do it. Kafalem arki gigit. It's like taking, like, like you have a like a ball, and you put it on, you're covering, uh, you know, some, like a mice. So you put it on his head, he cannot move. So he forced it on them, yeah. And the reason is, when you make an agreement, that's it. You sign, you finish, you in. Plus, the evil inclination is doing the job. It's not really that a person doesn't want to keep what Hashem tells him. Why a person would want to go against his creator? Why to be ungrateful like this? Because... It's the Satan, the evil inclination, who all the time drives you crazy. Why people don't keep Shabbat? They think they lose. Who makes them think they lose? The Satan. Look, your business is closed, you lose. Look, uh, you, you cannot go to the mall, sit, eat, drink. You always show him what he's losing. Why the Satan is not fair to show him what he's missing by not keeping Shabbat? It's a fact that hundreds of thousands of secular people in the last 20 years become Shomer Shabbat and they're all extremely happy. I don't remember seeing one that regretted. I, you know how many, how many people I met Shomer Shabbat? Not one time I saw one of them who, who was upset about it. The opposite, everyone is waiting for Shabbat all week. 
Why the Satan was not fair to show the whole picture? He only show what you lose, some money and some stupid driving around in a mall or whatever. Why? Because that's his, his job, of course. That's why you have the Torah. Torah is to balance against what the Satan does. Modesty. Do you know women that dress not modest? If they only knew how many sins they make per hour, you know how they cover themselves? You know the potato sacks? Uh -huh. 500 sacks around their body that nobody by mistake will see the image of the hand. No, see the Arabs how they cover? That's how the women would dress if they knew why they dress like this, provocative, tights, pants, mini, this, open, cut. Why? Because they don't see how many millions of sins per day they gain. And they don't know what severe punishments they're going to get. They only knew they'll never dare to do it. What are you gaining? What are you losing? You're gaining a penny and you're losing a million dollars? What kind of business is that? What is the penny that they get? Few amigos enjoy their body on the street. Oh, pretty girl. Hey, como esta? Oh, can I get your number? That's what they get. And if they married, bechlal, it's stupid. So even this attention, it's like, it's like putting a delicious food in front of a dog, but he's, he has a bar on his mouth. Anyway, she cannot go and fool around. She's a wife, no? So what's the point of attracting, uh, getting attention? The attention her husband should give her. It's called choteu machti. Machti arabim. It's not only her sins every second that she lives in a sin. It's thousands of men who looked at her, whether it's in pictures, whether it's in a video, whether it's on the street. Every one of them who thought about her, it's her punishment. Multiplied by how many men see her on the street. No, can be a, a more stupid sin than this. You see, any sin you do, you eat pork now. You eat a million times pork, million steaks of pork, is not one hour of a woman who walks not modest in the street. Million steaks of pork a day, if it was possible to eat. Million, million a day wouldn't be one hour of a woman walk with tight pants or open sleeves and all these things on the street. Modesty. I have a whole lecture about modesty. Because who listens to it, they get the shock of their life. Nobody, everyone lives in illusion. Yeah. Now they're coming up with a new, a new CD. They're going to make 200,000 CDs of Taharat Mishpacha. 200,000 CDs. I have a student, when Hashem gave me the merit to make him religious 11 years ago, Shammai, Shachar Shammai, he makes seminars. So now he came up with this. I, I didn't see the CD yet, but he's, he claims it's a very strong, powerful CD. Yeah, it's a tzaddik. It's a very serious tzaddik, him and his wife, Orly. So... So, you know, he's now, he gathered money to make in China, it's much cheaper than to do it here, 200,000 DVDs to give out for free in, five, in four different languages, English, Russian, Hebrew, and another language. So, inside, it's like a movie. It shows about the importance of modesty, the Tarat Mishpacha. They claim it's an incredible movie who's going to make a lot of impact on the world, yes. But uh, I always say the CDs is the best solution to the problems today. People are in a car all the day, they listen to Torah. It'll be all over, don't worry. I thought that 200,000 is too much. They should have done maybe a few different groups of CDs. 
200,000 is a lot, but it's already too late. They made the order, so we'll see. So since they're gonna have 200,000, they're gonna have to flood the streets. So it's probably gonna be in restaurants. See, I'm, I don't put my CDs in restaurants and in places knowing the people who works there, they take it and put it in the garbage. If you have a guy who hates Jews and he works in a restaurant and he sees 100 CDs, it's each one a dollar. Nobody sees, he takes it and puts it in the garbage. So I never get to a situation, I always hand them to the people, either in lecture or people who I give to that I know that they hand to people to make sure it comes to a hand of a person. But if I had a million dollars now extra for CDs, what do I have to lose? So 100,000 will go to the garbage. But then you will, ex you will get a lot of people that you don't know. They come to the restaurant, they see, they're curious, they put in a car, they're in. Once they put it in, they, I was in Englewood this Shabbat in Jersey. I spoke by the Ashkenazim Shul. There's a Faradi and Ashkenazi over there. So how did they agree that I'll speak by them? It's very difficult to enter this place because many people come there, they want to make connection with this community. It's a wealthy community. They want to make connection with them that they can raise funds there. There's a lot of wealthy people live there. But I don't do fundraising. But how did they agree that I'll speak there? But last time I was in a Sephardi, it's a huge building. One side Sephardi, one side Ashkenazi. I put by the Ashkenazi many CDs. And I already knew in one month I'll get invited there once I put the CD. That's how it works. There is two ways to do it, to wait five years until this guy approves you and he moves it to the next guy and to the vice president and to the president and then a rabbi and they make a committee and they call and they check and you finally make it or you just throw CDs. Two or three of them listen and they begin to, to create pressure. The CDs are very powerful, and I believe that these CDs that he's going to make, if he's good as they claim, is going to make a very serious impact. CDs today educate the people, because most people don't read books. Most people don't go to lectures. Most people don't learn Torah. So where will they get Torah? Only in a car or on a DVD. If you give them something, so they're curious, they put it in. That's really what made the revolution of the last 20 years. Remember, I made the first film in the Jewish history for Achzara B'Tshuva, for making Ba'alei Tshuva, 14 years ago, Informatia Elokit. Nobody ever thought about this concept of making a video to prove the Torah to people. There were only audio cassettes about regular lectures. All kinds of rabbis who would make audio cassettes. I came out with a video cassette with all the proofs, with music, interviewing people, should see, I still had black hair in, those, in this day. It's called Informatia Elokit. Yeah. And you know what he did in Israel? Half a million cassettes they gave. 10,000 per month routine, every month. 10,000, 10,000. And now I'll give you an example. One time I went to Idabrut. Idabrut is now the biggest organization for Kiruv, maybe in the world. In Israel, for sure, they have a television station, television channel. So I walked in to the office. I just had a seminar with Rabbi Zamir Cohen in Los Angeles last week, which is the head of Idabrut, me and him. But uh, two years ago, I went to their office in Bnei Brak before they moved to Petah Tikva. I walked in. There's a vice president there named Nir. He comes to me. Nice to meet you. I'm here thanks to you. Never saw the guy. He's the vice president of the biggest Kiruv organization. I said, oh, nice to meet you. He said, I watched your video. Informatia Lokid, I became religious. 
Now he's the vice president of the biggest Kirov organization. Imagine the guy who donated me that tape. It was one dollar. How lucky this guy is. Now this Nir was with me in Los Angeles now last week. Running, doing fundraising, bringing money to Idabrut. They have television, 24 hours a day, six days a week. Every, even judges in a court in Israel that are anti-religious, from curiosity, they listen to the lectures. And it's even affecting their decisions in a court. Because until now, it was all against Jews, against religion. All of a sudden, they're starting to get a different opinion. Hey, wait a minute, these people are much smarter than us. We thought, beard, hats, you know, primitive. The judge is not a fool. He looks, oh, wow, look at this rabbi, look at this one, look at this one. Change their entire approach. This is how it's a chain reaction. Torah anytime. How Torah anytime started. I had two of my students, Shimon and Ruven Kolyakov. I used to give lectures here in Ornatan and Bet Gavriel. So one time they came to me. I said, listen, there are so many people we cannot bring into the lectures. They just won't come. Why don't we get a camera? Here you see this camera. This is the first cameras they used to get. Why don't you, why don't you we get a camera, we'll film your lectures, we make a website, we already have computer doctor business. We have computers, we have everything we need. We just need a camera and we'll, we'll find volunteers to record you. And we'll bring the lectures to the people. It's a fantastic idea. Let's start. We start the Torah anytime. Today, 350 speakers, the biggest speakers in the world, 15,000 lectures, more than a million and a half hours of Torah per year. Started from the lecture I did here by the Bukharian and by the Georgians. That's how it started. Or Natan. A legend. A legend. Now these two brothers are very lucky guys. They came up with idea. They got, I don't know, now they have many cameras because you know, the business grew. But it started with one camera. I was the first one on, we started it. Today it's a legend. Today, every rabbi who used to speak to 20 people in his community now is exposed to millions of people in the world. Everyone can listen to him online for free. Understand? So the revolution, Bezrat Hashem, only started. Now many big things are about to happen, I cannot tell you. There are many big things to happen. A little bit. Next week. No, no, it's, it's late already. I have another lecture. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you.